everyone, and welcome. This is Angela, and you are joining me for another episode of my podcast series, where I invite key thought leaders and experts to share their perspectives on current topics impacting business, the workplace, as well as society. Joining me today is a leader in the world of sickle cell disease, Dr. Isaac Adame. Among his many academic and clinical roles, Dr. Adame is the founder of the Global Sickle Cell Disease Network, based at the Hospital for Sick Children, also known as Sick Kids, in Toronto. He has been a key player in advancing programs for early detection and treatment of sickle cell disease in newborn babies. So, Dr. Adame, welcome to our podcast today. Many thanks. As you know, earlier this year, I had the great privilege of traveling to Ghana to meet different Pfizer partners, such as SickKids. And while I was there, I saw firsthand the devastating impact that sickle cell disease can have on entire communities. I came away sad, but also filled with a great sense of responsibility to help those children and their families. Clearly, this is something you live and breathe every day. Maybe we can begin with you telling us a little bit more about your story. You've lived, you've studied, you've worked all over the world in very different environments. What led you down this path, and when and where did your desire to address sickle cell disease begin? Well, as you know, um, I was born and raised in Ghana. Um, I did my medical training in Ghana and qualified as a medical doctor. But while growing up, actually, I had an experience with sickle cell disease because my own first cousin, um, who we didn't know at the time had sickle cell disease, died very young. Additionally, my sister had a daughter who died very young at the age of two years. And looking back now, it is clear to me that this girl must have died from sickle cell disease. My own schoolmate, high schoolmate, who became a, med- a medical doctor, also died very early. So I had had an experience with sickle cell disease in Ghana. As many Ghanaians will tell you, that either their own family members or people they know have experienced sickle cell disease. I went to the UK to train as a pediatrician and then as a hematologist, and subsequently migrated to Canada where I was recruited as a a professor in pediatric hematology oncology. While in Canada, I discovered that sickle cell disease in Canada was being treated as a rare disease, and there was no newborn screening program in Ontario uh, where uh, most people with sickle cell disease live. I was instrumental in persuading the government to include sickle cell disease in their program of newborn screening. This subsequently led me uh, to move to the Hospital for Sick Children, which has the largest number of patients with sickle cell disease in Canada and one of the largest in North America. And while there, I encountered a program called Program for Global Pediatric Research, which focuses on diseases that are more predominant in the poorer parts of the world that need more emphasis in terms of research and commitment of resources to be able to bridge the gap. So I was able to make the case that sickle cell disease is really a perfect model of a disease which is more predominant in sub-Saharan Africa and India and Brazil and requires a lot of resources for research and also for program delivery in order to improve outcomes. With that, 
we were able to rally our colleagues in North America that there's a need to form a global sickle cell disease network that will really foster partnerships to accelerate clinical care delivery and also relevant research that will give us insights as to how to manage the disease. So that has been my journey with global sickle cell disease because I realized that to tackle the problem globally, mm-hmm. we needed to shift emphasis from just a richer parts of the world mm-hmm. and emphasize in the areas where most of the patients live. Mm-hmm. What an impressive journey, uh, Dr. Adamin. Of course, I feel so privileged and lucky that I had the opportunity to travel um, to Accra and to see your work uh, firsthand in the Kolebu Hospital. Uh, but recognizing that, um, you know, not everyone gets the opportunity to see uh, the communities in which disease this disease manifests the most. Um, I think that often. Um, people's perspective of a disease academically versus what it looks like from a patient's eyes can be very different. Um, So my second question is the following, which is um, help put us on the ground in Ghana. And uh, can you help bring the patient perspective into focus for us? What is the story of sickle cell disease there? And what does the everyday reality look like for the patients and their families? To answer this question, I think I'll give you two scenarios of a child and an adult living with the disease. So the intriguing things about, about sickle cell disease is that even though it's an inherited disease, when the child is born, the child looks perfectly normal, perfectly healthy. So just imagine you are um, a young woman uh, married, you've had your first child, a beautiful bouncing child, and then six months later, this child gets swelling of the hands and feet, gets recurrent fevers, becomes pale and jaundice, and suddenly dies. You're told that your child died from malaria infection or from pneumonia, and that's about what you know. You have another child, this one turns out well, grows up, goes to school. You have a third one who goes through the same pattern as the first one. Now, your husband is beginning to wonder, what, what is happening? We've had three children. Two have died from a mysterious disease. They all look normal at birth. So this must be a, a curse. This must be something that is supernatural because the child was healthy before and suddenly took ill. That's the context of sickle cell disease in Africa and in Ghana, where there's so much mystery associated with the disease the child looks healthy and well and bouncing and then suddenly passes away. So the attribution to supernatural powers and the stigma results in a lot of misunderstanding about the causes of sickle cell disease. Now, the impact on the family can be devastating. The husband may decide that the woman probably is not bearing healthy children and might go to find another wife or this family might stick together and the mother might stop work and have to stay at home and raise up the child who has sickle cell disease. The impact on the family is very, very significant. Many families have been impoverished because they have a child who has sickle cell disease and the impact is long term. Societal problem is that many family members come suggesting their own solutions to the problem that this is supernatural, mm-hmm. that you seek spiritual solutions to it, it can create a lot of confusion in families 
and impoverishment that psychosocial impact is enormous. With an adult living with this disease, they cannot achieve their fullest potential. They have to minimize their, their aspirations because they are so often ill. They look unwell. They look visibly jaundiced. They're usually very lean. They are sick at the time when they should be enjoying a lot of uh, family outings. And any stressful situation in their lives precipitates excruciating painful crisis that takes them to hospital. The disease is so unpredictable that you are not able to plan anything because anything can happen anytime. And it leads to depression. They begin to think they didn't ask for this, if it's genetic, uh, why me? It's always a question, particularly when they reach their teenage years. And the misery that is associated with this disease is really something that takes its toll with a lot of anger and psychological uh, impact on these patients. So living with sickle cell disease, people call it is a curse. And it's a curse in a sense that it is not an infectious disease that you can recover from. And the stigma that is associated with it, with it even prevents families being able to talk about it. Dr. Adami, thank you for sharing those moving, uh, heartbreaking examples of uh, what this disease um, actually does to patients and their families. It is so much more than physical, so much more than the disease, but the impact um, so broadly on the individual as well as everybody around them is um, is uh, surely devastating. And I think gives us all the more motivation to, um, to partner, to find solutions, uh, to really support and provide for these communities. Uh, speaking of communities, in the introduction you gave us, you shared uh, the many countries that you've lived in and the opportunities to have worked in uh, such different communities and environments. So um, I thought it might be um, interesting for you to share with us um, what is it like um, operating in such different environments, thinking about Toronto, uh, where you live today, and Accra, where you used to be. You know, how do you experience that contrast and what are some of the surprising similarities or differences that you see through your work uh, despite where you are? Thank you for that question. So, beginning from Toronto, any woman who has a child, any parents who have a child with sickle cell disease will know beforehand that the child has sickle cell disease through newborn screening. In a well-controlled environment, we reveal the results to the family and we'll tell them that this, this child can be treated and that in Toronto, over 95% of all these children will become adults. I'm able to look in the face of these parents who are in tears because they've heard of a devastating diagnosis and tell them, your child is going to be an adult and you're going to see your grandchildren. And in tears, they will embrace me and say, thank you. We thought this disease meant death mm -hmm. in childhood. So that contrasts from a child in Accra or somewhere in the rural setting in Ghana. Parents will not know that this child has sickle cell disease at all because the child looks well. At the age of six months, seven months, this child will be taken ill and may probably not survive from it. The tragedy of it is that 
the diagnosis of sickle cell disease would not be known ever because this child, for all intents and purposes, died from malaria, died from a febrile illness, from an infection. And the fact that this child has sickle cell disease would not be known. What really hurts me is that in Africa, the disease is so silent. It's a silent killer because it's not even being diagnosed. Mm -hmm. So everywhere in Africa where newborn screening projects have been done, health authorities have always been shocked by the numbers that are identified because these children were previously going to die undiagnosed. So the journey for a child in Toronto compared with a child in Accra is starkly different, purely because early diagnosis is not commonplace in Ghana, and the tools for really treating them mm-hmm. are really available. Penicillin is one of the cheapest drugs ever. Um, vaccinations are universal. And so using penicillin and vaccination alone, one is able to reduce mortality from this disease under five years of age by nearly 90%. So the, the resources may be there, but because the diagnosis is not made, and there's inadequate knowledge in the context of stigma and mysticism surrounding this disease, it creating a great inequity Mm -hmm. in terms of outcomes for these children. Mm -hmm. And I view it mainly as an injustice, really, because why should it be different? I mean, parents in Ghana and parents in Canada have the same aspirations. They have hopes for the child, that this child is going to grow up, and contribute to society and aspire to be uh, something greater than the parents were. That is the hope of every parent. And so all these efforts we're making is to bridge that gap and remove that inequality and inequity that exists in this patient experience. So let's take a step back uh, to a different topic, um, Dr. Dame, and let's shift our focus to the um, idea of innovation. So at Pfizer, we have been taking a look at how we think about innovation because when it comes to helping patients, um, we, we believe that innovation exists in every single aspect of our work, all the way from science to the way we manufacture our drugs to the way we engage with our patients and the physicians. All of this is important. So taking into account this broader framework for innovation, What do you think has been the most significant innovation to move the needle in terms of treating sickle cell disease? Is it the science, or do you think it's something else? And where do you think the greatest opportunities may lie for us? I think it is both. The science has clarified for us that this disease, although it's a blood disease, actually it's a multi-system disease. It affects virtually every organ of the body. And it's also revealed that early intervention saves lives. But the innovation that has come about, which is going to be of benefit to sickle cell patients in low-income countries, has been easier diagnosis that is using technologies that are cheaper and that are easy to administer at the point of care. So recently, the NIH, in partnership with uh, small biotechnical uh, industries, launched a program to develop point-of-care diagnosis Mm -hmm. for sickle cell disease, where a drop or two of blood taken from a patient, a child, or an adult can reveal the results 
within five to ten minutes. And this is enormously transformative because the diagnostic barrier which existed before can now be bridged because you can't begin to treat any disease unless you can detect it. And so by making it easier to detect the disease, I think we are more likely to be able to identify those who need the interventions and, and target those interventions to those patients in the hope of improving outcomes. The other thing that has also been an innovation is because most patients are rural dwellers, one has to develop a way of reaching them mm-hmm. with the interventions that we know are life-saving. It's one thing to know that an intervention works, and it's another thing to make sure that it reaches a patient at the right time and at the right place when they need it. A country like Brazil has developed this model where the sickle cell management is integrated in primary care mm-hmm. and then secondary and tertiary care, depending on the level of, of complexity. But that ensures that every child with sickle cell disease, every adult with sickle cell disease can be reached. The other thing that has also been an innovation is Africa is benefiting from technology. If you take cell phone technology, for example, Africa has been able to leapfrog and not have to use landlines to be able to communicate. And now drone delivery means that you can drop drugs or or vaccines that are needed in remote areas of of the country which are not reachable by ordinary transportation. And so these technologies are beginning to bridge the gap to ensure that interventions that we know have worked for over 40 years in North America and Europe, that it can reach the remotest village in Africa and reach the child with sickle cell disease who lives in a rural setting. Thank you for sharing that wonderful perspective. It's broad, it's far-reaching, and I think you've painted a picture for us of how the medicine is just one part of a uh, multifaceted um, you know, solution set uh, in order for us to really take care of our patients. So for our final question, and I'm sorry that our time is coming to an end because it's been so wonderful talking to you, but um, I did want to ask you a personal question. Uh, You've had an amazing career. You've traveled the world. You've had um, impact um, on people uh, beyond what you can imagine. So uh, for you, um, how do you define having impact on a patient's life? What would be, you know, your crowning example of impact? So about a month ago, I saw a patient of mine in Sickets. She wrote me a note in which she thanked me profusely for pushing her so hard and inspiring her to remain adherent to her therapy to give her the best outcomes. And this really was an inspiration to me as well because this girl was at risk of stroke and has had to be on disease-modifying therapy throughout her life. At some stages, adherence to her medications were challenging, and I will show her her results and inspire her to aspire to better things because I knew she was gifted and to see her come out so well and be so confident about her future is the reason why we do what we do. And I think this should be the experience of every child with sickle cell disease globally. Well, thank you so much for the time that you spent with us today. I think uh, multiple times during this pro- this podcast, uh, uh, we've had moments where we've been brought to tears just listening to your experiences, your stories, and the reality of a life uh, for sickle cell patients. 
And um, as I, uh, you know, bring this podcast to a close and think about uh, the purpose uh, for Pfizer, which is that we bring breakthroughs to change patients' lives, I can't think of a disease um, that is more exemplary of the purpose that we uh, have and we want to pursue. Because um, the breakthroughs, as you said, Dr. Adami, are not just scientific breakthroughs. Many times it's about the other things that we can do to support our patients and our communities. And certainly sickle cell and this discussion has brought all of that to bear. So I thank you. I thank you for your dedication to our patients. I thank you for everything that you've done to create this incredible program in Ghana. We feel really lucky to have this partnership with you. And I feel uh, grateful that we had this opportunity to invite you here today so that you could share your story with so many others. I'm also grateful for the opportunity. Thank you so very much.